This is a pod. A pod about dogs. Healthy dogs. It's the healthy dog pod. Thank you to the sponsor of this season of the Healthy Dog Pod, Field Day. Field Day is an Australian-made and owned dog health and wellness brand that creates products to help your dog live the best and healthiest life, inside and out. Field Day has a range of whole food meal toppers that target the top four health concerns for dogs. Joints, digestion, anxiety, and skin. They're also really easy to use. You simply add them to the food that your dog already loves. You can also look after your dog's skin and coat health with Field Day's brand new grooming range. Field Day also donates 1% of all online profits to Pets of the Homeless. This is a charity that works to help keep vulnerable people and their pets together by alleviating the burden of providing essential pet care during times of hardship. You can shop the Field Day range online now at fieldaypet.com.au and use the code HDP10 for 10% off site-wide. That's HDP10 for 10% off. Now it's time to get to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthy Dog Pod. It's Sophie and Ian as always. And today we have Simon from the Mutt Hey. Good morning, guys. You okay? Thank you very much for having me on this morning. Well, this morning where I am anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, we're a little bit ahead of you. So it's afternoon for us. So thanks so much for getting up so early to uh, to come on today. Yes. Absolute pleasure. Um, just a very brief intro on myself, as it's not very exciting. But for those that don't know me, my name is Simon Moody. I am the Mutt Nut, um, known on social media. I'm a dog trainer and behaviourist over here in the UK, in Manchester. Typically, tend to specialise in reactivity and anxiety-based cases. Uh, my experience is heavily involved in the rescue industry here over in both in the UK and overseas as well. Um, so in that time I've worked for a variety of different people now working for myself the last four years coming up to now. Um, so yeah, really excited to be on today. I think we're going to be talking about our role as the dog owner, dog trainer, looking at sort of previous and past techniques that are still knocking around today and how we can potentially um, try and better ourselves for the sake of our doggies. That's uh I had no idea you'd been working overseas as well, mate. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. so it's it's such a cool experience just to have you here, man. We've we've seen a lot of your stuff on social media, and the way that you frame the information is so easily digestible for so many uh, people, and just like the dog owners, and you know, even as professionals, like we're learning from like like from you as well, like just how to frame information. It's really really just gotta say right off the bat like loving what you're doing out there mate so thanks for coming on oh thank you um, that honestly means a massive deal <laughs> we um one of the things we did want to talk about today was that like you like you said a minute ago was that role of the dog trainer and you know the the role that we play and what ex- what expectations we have on us in that role from from the dog public and me and you have laughed a little bit before about how being a male in that role, there's certain expectations of us when we come in that might differ from when a female comes in. Yeah, totally. It's, I think, 
yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, really, because I think a lot of the time when I go and approach a case or a client or whatever it might be, it's around, around a certain dog. And I'm doing them wrong. I'm, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest bloke in the world, but typically on arrival, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, you'll be able to handle him or, you know, you'll be able to see to him or whatever it might be. And it's almost to imply that I need to kick the crap out of the dog or something like that, which is obviously completely couldn't be further away from the truth. But I think particularly um, just working with people, coaching people as well, um, not for one minute having a go at us, us males, but typically when coaching people and working with them and trying to get them to understand what is actually going on with the dog, I always find it can be a little bit more tricky working with the male owner just because, again, I think we can sometimes have this, you know, barrier in the way of trying to be there to actually support the dog as opposed to, you know, we're sort of coming back to this whole uh, idea of dominance and we should be in charge and the dog should do as we say. Um, but yeah, typically as a dog trainer, it's it's very much, no matter how big or small you are, it's essentially understanding the emotional needs of the dog, obviously, and, and making sure you can portray that, obviously, to the client in a way that they understand what you're talking about. Um, just like when you're training a dog, the dog understands what you're asking them to do and the criteria that's that's involved, really. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. Sorry, oh, sorry. Say, like when I go in as a female, you know, if it's like a big shepherd or a big am staff, the owner's like, oh, yeah. um, are you going to be able to <coughs> And the one thing that I love the most is being underestimated. And I'm like, yeah, easy. They're like, no, but he does this and he does that and he does this. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. We'll, we'll get to that. Like, don't worry about it. And then when I do work with them and I show them, hey, I can do this and I'm not the tallest or strongest person, you know, that means you can do this too without force as well. So I think, yeah, we're seeing like the both sides, male and female, um, how people perceive us. Mm. One of the one of the things that I love to explain to somebody in that situation with those kind of expectations is like, at the end of the day, the more physical control we've got to take of that dog, the less control we're really in. You know, like we're just, if I've got to re restrain and pin and wrestle, then, you know, like that's not dog training. That's, that's got nothing to do with what we're doing here today. And the shit's hit the fan if that's where we've gone in the session. And so often like they're like, are you like my, the one I hear all the time is I walk in the door and the, the client will go, are oh, you in trouble now? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and this is something I, I really wanted to get into with you today because you mentioned that, like, oh, like, do we need to be in charge? And, you know, how do we go about that? Because at the end of the day, like, we are asking dog owners to, in one way, take control of the situation because that's meant to be their role as the caregiver. But in others, we're like, right, yes, you also need to be empathetic and listen to the animal in, in, your, in your care to make sure that what you implement is there in their best interest and in yours. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, we'll probably get into it at some point, but language is so important in terms of, and this is something I talk about a lot about on social media, as you've seen, and with clients and the rescue centres I work with, language is so important. So like you said there, people come, you come into the house and people are, oh, you know, you're in trouble now or whatever it might be, implying that the dog is, you know, factually incorrect or the dog is an obed or the dog is stubborn or, do you know what I mean? All these ideas that it's, you know, this, this is your of the dog and the dog only. 
so yeah definitely i think we have we do have to take charge we do have to be a leader i hate that word because of the associations it has with it with it but we do we we do have to lead we do have to and that's not a case of you know our way and that's it it's essentially the reason i say we have to lead is because what i have to remind people of is we are 100 responsible of the environments that we put our dogs in so you know stating the obvious but if our dogs are having a bit of a stressy day, they can't get an Uber and just go and take themselves off to the forest, obviously. But people seem to forget that and that we're responsible for taking them to that cafe, taking them to someone's house, taking them to the park, taking them to daycare. Like we are literally responsible for every single environment that we put them in because they rely on us for all that. So in terms of leading, yes, we want to put them in the best possible situation where we know they can cope or we know they can't cope. So we take the dogs to a different situation. But definitely, yeah, we have to, we do have to take charge in a way that, like you said there, supports the needs of the dogs, where the fact what the dog's um, phobias are, limitations, breed specific, medical conditions, um, to be completely, but yeah, it's, it's not a case of, you know, it's do it whether you like it or not, because that is literally, that is just pure bullying. That is not a case of taking the dog's emotional needs into play. One thing I say to, to people, because it's it's one of those things, particularly in the UK, it's, it's one of the, where I always state that we can't necessarily be positive all the time in the sense that we have management in place. So, you know, we leads going on a dog, using a car, you know, but it's not something where we would obviously add heavy punishment or anything like that, but just stating the fact that we have to limit. It's just that, I forget the term, but it's, you know, minimal, what's the term? Is it LMIA? Is that what it is? Minimal... Yeah, just it's just a case of yeah being realistic, keeping management in place for safety reasons, like all that kind of thing. But but yeah, no, you're spot on in terms of we definitely need to take charge for the best interest of the dog. When when somebody says to me about like, well, challenge me on that. Like, what I'll actually do is move, take a step away from the dog world, and I'll refer like leadership books uh, such as like from Simon Sinek or. Renee Brown, that lead in a business sense. And so these people are like people that I would look at as inspiring leaders. And this where this, like you said about language, like language has been so blurred through the dog world because by nature, as soon as you are in that position of control, like, like you said, like control of where the dog goes, when it eats, all of its resources, where, what activities it does, by the very nature and definition, we are dominant. But that is just the nature of a situation. It's not a personality trait. It's just somebody ended up in the dominant position by the nature of what the circumstances are. And I think what people have got mistaken and confused with over the year is being dominant and being domineering. Because domineering is where you start to become a bully. It's what, where you start to really overpose <clears throat> and that's not being a good leader that's being like in if we refer back to our dog analogy now if some if if uh if a dominant member of the group of animals became domineering then that group of animals is going is under threat because everything is oh, out of balance absolutely yeah um definitely i mean it's I, th I did a post on this recently in terms of you know dominant alpha all that stuff that gets chucked around and it's very much got the association person for me anyway 
of as you said there is that domineering we're doing this you know my say you know you know you've no choice as opposed to proper leader proper alpha if you want to use that word for me is somebody that you know yeah fights other people's battles potentially but supports people who you know necessarily haven't got a voice um that kind of thing as opposed to this old school yeah we're doing it i'm in charge i mean sophie sent me some of those comments the other day we don't need to get into it but in terms of the ones uh, from a certain group or something like that. But again, just people commenting on very, very old school stuff, you know, going through the doorway first, you know, make sure you feed your cat before you feed the dog. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's it's not funny really, but it's just like, it's like, come on, like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's not funny, but it's laughable. Yeah. Yeah. As, as he was like, you know, everyone always says, make sure you go through the door before the dog whatever and then Ian's like what every door in the house like is it just the front door <laughs> is it every door like how tiring having to do that to every door like it doesn't make sense and then when you tell people that they're like oh yeah mm. like yeah those those comments were yeah I was assuming <laughs> that into like a popular narrative like the language around that is like we are again we're in control of that resource so access to the outside world is a resource to the dog and we're in control of it and so by nature of the situation yes we're in a dominant position but how i get the dog to do a desirable behavior in that is not to try to dominate him through fear or even just even just through suppression of behavior and this is something i i know that you prescribe to as well simon but it's very much around like being clear in the behaviors that we do want to see and put an emphasis on that whether we're working with a basic like uh drill of like how to leave the house without getting tanked down the road or more complex cases like anxiety and aggression totally yeah i mean obviously definitely a case of rewarding the behaviors that we would like and going back to what you said a minute ago i always try and refer it to so say if you've, you've had a job and you've had a boss that you you know, you can't stand, which we've all probably had at one point, whether it's, you know, working in a shop as a kid or whatever. But essentially, a lot of the time, and I just relate this back to dogs. So if you've got somebody that is, you know, in a in a position of authority, let's say, um, similar to sort of the position that we are with our dogs in terms of we, we have the decision maker, we're the provider, that kind of thing. Um, but if they're constantly, like, on your back, you know, in the terms of like, this is shit, this is like, this isn't good enough, you know, do it quicker. Blah, blah, blah. Like you're just literally going to be so demotivated. You're going to have no clue what you can do. So if you're from an office, let's say, take a the standard office job type situation, everything you pass it out, he's just coming back, shit, no good, too late, too slow, whatever. And you almost, you're going to literally be scared to put a foot forward um, for that fear of the fact that you're probably going to get a bollocking. So it's, which then creates a baseline level of anxiety of, you know, massively lacking in confidence as opposed to, and, or another example being, you know, say if you've got issues at home, say if you've, you know, I don't know, money worries, family issues, you're turning in late to work and you're just getting punished again and again and again and again. But again, in that situation there, very boring and generic example, but the emotional, you know, issue isn't necessarily being met by the person in that authoritative position as to go, coming 10 minutes later or just simply rewarded behaviors that they would like it can massively make change the difference but the main thing i always say is the relationship between that person and the person in authority is completely like in the sense that you're not going to want to go and have a beer 
want to do anything out of hours for them, you know, which quite rightly so. So relating it back to dogs, same thing again. And this is why, again, language is important. Even I was talking to somebody yesterday about the use of the word no. Like, it's so, if you've got a dog in that situation, if you've got, a, I don't know, a household dog and you're just constantly punishing, you know, shouting, not, not clearing any sort of communication whatsoever, whether it's training, whether it's, you know, behaviour modification. Again, I always try and remind people, we are so confusing to our dogs. Like, whether you're trying to do the right thing, you're just so confusing. And lot, with my training, particularly with, like, rescue centres I work with, sometimes with clients as well. Have you ever heard of the, I'm sure you will have, have you heard of the, um, the book and the game portal? Have, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, so I we heard about through Nick's uh, podcast. Yeah, so I use Portal all the time. Um, so in terms of, uh, forgive me, I don't know the details of it, but if it's, it's Portal as in P O R T L, there's no A in it. Um, but you can buy the kit online, and it's essentially like a pencil case filled with loads of different objects, from like dice to toy cars, that kind of thing. And essentially, it's just to, it's a clicker training exercise with us humans. And the criteria can be anything from, you know, you. I did one the other day where we were rolling the dice and depending on what the number was, they, we basically built up the criteria to begin with was teaching the person which, if the dice was to land on one or six, that one of them would mean right, one of them would mean left, if that makes sense. So the dice would roll and you'd push it in a certain direction. So it was about trying to use environmental support to teach the person that six meant to touch this, you know, one meant to touch that. And we built it up and up and up, but it, um, I won't bother with what the end criteria was, but the point was what I was trying to teach the people in the room was how confusing we are, do you know what I mean? And I was trying to, in that situation, I try and let people sort of exhaust the fact that now they're just fucking frustrated and can't be asked. And I'm like, this is exactly the same when you're working with your dog. And then some people would, you know, naturally I get it, it doesn't make them bad people necessarily, but then I've, you know, the audacity to then start calling the dog, stubborn and dominant and all this sort of stuff and it's like you just we, we've got to strip everything strip everything right back to the point yeah. where the first thing that i'll always say to going off topic here but the first thing i would always say to a client is are you meeting your dog's emotional needs forget the pulling on the lead and recall and aggression what is happening in the dog's day-to-day -day life do they get opportunities to be a dog do they get opportunity, like, opportunities to, to sniff and use the brain because i always say dogs are visual creatures i know it's they obviously can see most of them, but you know their their biggest trait is the nose by a million miles, which is just completely starved. And it was, again, yesterday I was talking to a client who previously been to a class and they didn't return, but again, just so like you do not let your dog sniff, like and just walking the dog on constantly. They can only sniff when you tell them, and it's just like oh, you know, like just completely, completely missing it. Whereas, like I say, I know I'm waffling here, but in terms of the whole principle behind again being that leader it's obviously education as well I do appreciate you know people a lot of the time still going off what they see on the telly like pretty much everything um but again it's that lack of education which is obviously why we do the job that we do and um, to try and obviously <coughs> excuse me give people that further understanding but yeah again it's it's just simply in simple words it is literally about the more you can understand the more you can like i say potentially to help support your dog but again before we think about going back to your question in terms of rewarding behaviors we would like working with aggression working with other severe sort of behavior issues 
the first thing I will always come back to is what are you doing with the dog on a daily basis? Are you walking the dog too much? Are you stressing the dog out? Are you, you know, you're not offering any form of, you know, stress relief or anything like that before we can even think about moving on to rewarded behaviors we would like to see. Yeah. I just, I want to circle back to what you were just saying about the whole no thing. Cause I've said this before in a podcast, um, in one of the courses that I did, uh, what they did is they said, okay, so if you go outside, um, I'm going to get you to do something, but I'm not going to tell you what you're going to do. So I went outside and the whole class decided, okay, Sophie's going to do this. I came in and she was just like, no, 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 no. And I was trying to like touch everything. And she's like, no, 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 no. And I was like, oh my God, this is so frustrating. Yeah. Actually, she wanted me to just take the tissue out of the tissue box and that was it. And when I did it, I was like, oh my gosh, finally. And she's like, that's how your dog feels every time you're just like, no, 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 no. And it's so frustrating. It was killing me. And I think it's really important for owners to understand that. For our owners to be able to relate to that, what what that looks like in a realistic way is like, if you're getting frustrated with your dog, then the chances are that your dog is 10 times more frustrated. Oh yeah. Where are you taking your dog if you're having to say no, 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 you've set them up to fail and you need to reevaluate what it is you're doing with them and your communication skills with them in that environment and making sure that you just go back to basics. And these social norms of like got to be able to do this, this peer pressure that we put on ourselves is, is this weird voice that dog owners have. They've got to get, they've got to go and do X, Y, and Z in, in a certain amount of time. And, and because somebody else's puppy down the road managed to do that in three weeks and yours is, isn't able to at nine it's like so what like it's, it's just going to be a bit more uh flexible with our dogs but yeah and that that is like uh, to relate it back to the leadership role i've got a team team of trainers and if one of them is not able to do what we would consider like a ch- normal to do on a daily basis then i'm not going to come down on them I'm not going to go, well, what the fuck were you doing? I'm going to ask why, because I know that she's probably trying as hard as she can. And there's a good reason why whatever expectations we had put on the situation, why they're not being met. And it's not personal. Dogs aren't dogs aren't vindictive. They're not out to spite you and shit like that. So, yeah. yeah. Taking that little memo with your with your dog is really important for people for me. Totally. And I think, you know, a lot of people will say, to me anyway, a lot, I get a lot of, oh, well, you, you know, you can't be positive all the time or you need to give the dog some sort of feedback that they've they've done wrong, like you would with your children or whatever. But again, I always, it's still not, it's still not, a, for me anyway, personally, it's just a personal choice now, but that isn't something that, Again, it's not the same, in my opinion. It's just not the same in terms of just everything, the way that how we are responsible for dogs, the way that we lich. And I know with kids, obviously, we take them everywhere and do everything. But again, there's still, in my opinion, there's still more independence, particularly with children. The way you communicate is completely different. You know, you can, a couple of words can mean a huge, can give that child a huge amount of information, whereas your dog is literally solely going off a lot of the time, your body language. And... and again, you can't really compare a child with a dog um, in terms of 
the fact that, again, you look at the capabilities of, of the dogs that we have in front of us, obviously depending on the breed. So for me, it's, it's a case of when we are, you know, we have, we, we personally have the choice to, <coughs> excuse me, set the dog up to be able to achieve a certain behavior and reward that behavior, or we literally just let the dog exhaust themselves and get that pissed off and frustrated because we think that we need to give the dog some form of, you know, negative feedback or whatever it might be. And obviously I'm not, I'm not stupid, I'm not an idiot to the point where, you know, sometimes we all lose our rags, you know, with our, with our dogs. We're pissed off, we're trigger stacked anyway, but it's not something we would, personally for me anyway, I would never use that as a training tool to get the behaviour that I'm looking for. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're all human at the end of the day. You come home, you're pissed off and dog jumps up and bangs you in the face and you kiss you. Like, you, you, you're within your rights to get pissed off. We're human beings. But at the same time, it's, there's a difference between getting pissed off and flipping or between all out using this as a training tool, if you know what I mean. What, what I really encourage every single one of our listeners to do is go and Google social interference, its definition, right? Yeah. What social interference is, is where somebody that you know and have a relationship with, when, you, when they're about to do something that you would prefer that they wouldn't and you step in, and you try you interfere with the behavior you're not punishing the behavior you're not trying to correct the behavior like say for example i'm walking down the street and i've got my nephew with me and he goes to cross the road what i'm going to do is scoop him up and make sure he doesn't get smashed by a car and i'm going to pick him up and if he got a spook i'm going to make him feel better i might have a good old conversation with him and go mate we need to look out for your road sense like look right look left I'm going to coach him through the moment as to how we can improve things in the future. But I'm also going to acknowledge that I'm an idiot because I was probably walking, not curbside with the nephew that's got the directional sense of a moth or a light bulb. So yeah. I just need to make sure that that running social interference is yeah. really normal. It's perfectly acceptable. But when I do step in, I'm not trying to cause fear. I'm not trying to cause pain. I'm not kind of trying to cause <coughs> intimidation. And what I'm definitely not doing is trying to hold a dog morally accountable, right? I'm not yeah. trying to understand that that was bad because that's where the perception and the, the, the average dog owner's overestimation of what a dog's cognitive and emotional level is way too much on a dog yeah, and holding totally. them morally accountable just like if if they were moral and we could and we could hold them morally accountable like the amount of the, the way that they're disciplined they would have learned by now right? totally. yeah yeah exactly yeah totally know what you mean it's a, it's one of them we could just chat about it all day but it's yeah it, it's uh it's i always say as well it's for me, what winds me up the most, I'll be honest, particularly having worked with dogs on the streets and stuff like that, where, you know, you I'm not saying all oh, dogs should be on the streets, obviously, because in some horrendous cases, um, come from the streets. But in terms of when I look at some of the most chilled dogs I've ever met, um, pretty much most of them would be on the street, I'll be honest with you, because, again, you know, they get up in the morning, they've got a job to do, they've got to find food. So the, the brains, they're much more mentally stimulated. Don't get me wrong, it's not perfect, but in terms of, you know, they, they haven't got a lot of restriction in their life. They're free to come and go, to go and see that dog, see this dog, whatever. They're finding food. They've obviously reminded people that dogs are scavengers. Dogs are designed to work and search for the food. And obviously we tend to just go, here it is in a bowl and it's 30 seconds, job done. 
So if anything, I always say we're taking opportunity off the dog there um, and the dog's eating the food and then thinking, right, what can I do now? But in terms of my point being is, particularly when we look at domesticated dogs, going back to that point again of the leadership and the fact that we are responsible for absolutely everything. Again, you think about what the dog's designed to do, chase things, kill things, run after things, track things, do all these kind of stuff. And, you know, and we, a lot of the time, starve them of those natural predatory instincts. We literally, the dog gets a chuck of the ball every few days or maybe not even that for some dogs, you know, and then things like anything, like you say there, a car going past or a dog with a dog going past or a cat going past or a squirrel or whatever, natural instincts kick in. And then again, it's us having the audacity to go, no, bang, no, whatever. And again, the dog got a clue what you're trying to tell them anyway. Um, yeah. But again, it's so much, it just can be frustrating sometimes, but equally as my position as a, as a coach, wouldn't be to just go, you're an obed, stop doing that to the, to the client, obviously. Because again, going, going, going back to the idea that I wouldn't treat a person different than I would train a dog in the sense that, you know, put, you know, like you sort of said there, that social intervention, offer them an alternative, you know, like that, yep, see where you're coming from, but let's try this instead. Uh, or that was really great when sometimes it might be a bit shit, but in terms of but do this, you know, a bit quicker next time or do this first or whatever, just because I see it all the time, personally, like dog trainers who promote reward-based training, but then literally go into town on people on comments and, you know, like, and I'm like, you literally just, you're literally like doing the opposite of what you're promoting, if you know what I mean? absolutely i think you know one of the things that's missing you said you said like with the street dogs they've got a goal or a job rather is that, sorry i think that's the word you used but i think one of the key elements to highlight there is what that what there isn't on them is expectation from others yeah right so the that that sense of relaxation comes because they woke up and they decided what they needed and then they acted on their needs whereas pet dogs aren't being listened to and their needs aren't being met and like you say like we bred we bred selectively for all these traits and like for example like a real high sensitivity to movement in so many of our breeds and then when they yeah. notice something and act on it because we bred it into them for hundreds of year, years they're now bad yeah. and, like, and then we asked like like going back to your original point um around what you'll ask a client first like are your dog's needs being met because if that dog needs to hunt if that dog needs to chase if that dog needs to just have its needs met because those biological needs have been inbred in for hundreds of years and and they're not then the shit's going to be hitting the fan like oh, left right and oh, <clears throat> massively yeah massively something i've took up a lot of interest in recently recently only just started is I can never say it right, but people say it different. Is Mondurin or Mondurin or whatever you want to call it um, for that exact reason? Um, it's what purely because again, it's, say that again, mate. What is it? Nake, uh, Nake, Nake Florin uh, is a is a. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've spoke to Nake before. He's a lovely bloke, and oh, well, okay. he's um, a decoy. He's a world club like. Ah like, yes. Like, Okay. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that sport, that dog sport, isn't huge in the UK. It's growing though, isn't it? No, it's not. It's not big at all. But it's uh, for essentially, yeah, for, for listeners, it's it's to put it very simply. There's a lot more to it than what I'm, I'm going to say. But essentially, yeah, it's allowing dogs a, an appropriate outlet to you know 
practice bike work, pursuit, chasing, bit tracking, that kind of thing, really. Obviously, sew it up. Um, but yeah, in terms of it's, it's without going into too much detail, I'm waffling onto another subject. But again, yeah, it's going back to the point of, and this is why it's so frustrating when people literally just surface level, just think, oh, the dog's bad, we need to put the dog in the place and, you know, lock them outside three days because they're trying to get on the mortgage. And, do you know what I mean? All these daft ideas that the dog is just trying to take over the world. When it's, again, it's just purely about understanding from an anatomy point of view, what is the dog, you know, designed to do? What, what impulses has the dog got? Can we address them? Can we give the dog an outlet to do that? Um, you know, physiologically, similarly, we know what, sorry, psychologically, what, what, you know, what natural instincts, desires, all that kind of things that I've got going on. Is the dog stressed out of their head? Like, is the dog super frustrated? That to me, that is literally what a leader should be doing in terms of evaluating all that information, being able to put the dog in the best possible situation to then succeed, <clears throat> excuse me, rather than this old school style of literally, I'm in charge here, you do what I say, when I say, and that is it, because <clears throat> again it's we're just literally completely missing the point plus you're missing the point of having a dog in my opinion in the sense that it's just zero fun yeah Ian, <laughs> say a little <laughs> why do we get a dog well, like, i mean i think mate, i think i've said this you know in 90 percent of our podcast but we get dogs to make us and them happy and yeah yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to be looking over their shoulder. Like it's a frame of mind, and this goes back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it on point by highlighting the importance of language, because if we identify our dogs as stubborn, spiteful, vindictive, naughty, bad, then we will start to fall into a trap of anticipating the next problem. Whereas yeah. if we label them like sensitive, if we label them like you know, actually just looking at like what care needs they need and what we can do to be better providers, then the emphasis comes back onto us to do exactly that. And from that style of ownership, like for me, it reduces stress in the owner. I know that my stress levels went down when yeah, I totally. at dogs like through that lens. And I also know in reflection, like in my, in my, like 20s early 20s of dog ownership when i was particularly harsh on my my dog on reflection it took me a long time and a lot of to be honest like it's a bit of pill to swallow but i realized that i wasn't in a good place and mm. it does reflect you as a totally, dog yeah and on that just briefly again ego is a big thing um and this is why i think and again i don't want to get into the debate and i'm not here to slag but the trains off for the obvious reason it's not my style but particularly surrounding you know like you know what it's like like I, I don't get in I do not get involved in groups particularly around the topic you know the the whole fallout of modern day and old school and all that crap because typically what happens is <clears throat> your old school style will just literally slag off the reward base the reward base will just slag off the put you know the old school style but typically I think a lot of time the reward based trainers and the positive positive um reinforcement take a lot of shit um for you know being soft and being fairies and all that kind of thing and for me it's very much about again everyone's on their own journey i always have to remind myself that but for me personally what i like to try and promote a little bit which is what you know we talked about this before even the podcast potentially is 
not going to go on too much, but just like the masculinity, particularly quite toxic within the dog training industry. If someone like myself, anyway, I like to promote the fact that, yeah, I do like going to the gym. I like doing man shit in terms of like playing football, all that kind of thing. But equally, when it comes to my dog training, never ever will you see me using that, you know, <laughs> any, any form of physical attributes on the dog. And again, coming back to the whole ego idea, you know, when we for doggers, everyday dog owners, because that's typically I tend to work with some of you guys. I don't work with professional dog, you know, owners or anything like that. It's for everyday dog owners, your standard people that get a dog for whatever reason. But again, reminding people you've got to kick your ego out a little bit, um, in the sense that you know, how does the dog make me look? Do I look like a knobhead because my dog's dragging me up? Do you know what I mean? It's it's very much about how is the dog making me look when you have to unfortunately put that to one side. Purely because if your ego's in front of you, usually will then encourage force because you're shitting yourself and you want things to change quick. Um, when again, everything we just talked about the last half an hour, that is again, we're trying to come away from that um, and trying to, like I say, so in terms of ego is a massive thing. I always have to talk about ego, particularly with clients, because they'll say, oh, well, we want to take him to the beach. I'm like, it's a reactive dog. And I'm like, okay, well, is that for you or is that for the dog? And they're like, oh yeah, but I always remind people that again, just try and think with everything you do is this for me is this for the dog and obviously it's a two-way street in the sense of obviously depending on what what way you do you know if you've got a rescue unfortunately it's a lot of the time it's more about the dog than you because you're trying to keep the dog you know keep, support the dog emotionally but even if you've got a pup as well um obviously it's a two-way street that's why we get a dog um so certain elements obviously you know where we want to make sure that it's you know proportioned in a certain way uh, provided it's appropriate but yeah, it's just trying to get people to acknowledge the fact that their ego is telling them to do this. Why are they telling them to do that? Look inwards a little bit, again, a bit deep, but you know, look inwards because you, you know what I mean? That's something that I always talk about ego. If you, it is a two-way street and people will be listening to this right now and going, but, but the dog, but I, and I do want to meet my dog's care needs, but what about mine? They do matter. But, of course, yeah. But at the same time, there's a couple of things to note here. I'd like to note here is one of them: your dog didn't. You don't. Your dog doesn't owe you shit. Like he didn't sign up to be in your life. You you took that responsibility, and so the moment you did that, it it does mean that you are the caregiver. You do have to make sacrifices because your dog didn't sign up to it. You did. And the other thing is like, like you just to just to highlight, it's often the ego that gets us into trouble because the, the ego will make us go into a situation. And then once we're compromised, that's when we start to see the force come out and the make yeah. and the making them comply because our ego put us in a situation that ultimately compromised us and our dog. So I think they're really good points, mate. Yeah, it's as you say there, I always say, you know, very similar thing, really. You know, your dog your dog didn't book themselves in at your place. Like you've obviously either got the dog from a pup or a rescue. And just coming back to that idea again, you know, if you, if you can't cope, I, it's a, it's an annoying thing to say, but why did you get a dog? Like, why yeah. did you get a dog? And again, a lot of it comes around, well, oh, it's for the kids. So, you know, they basically just want something fluffy and cuddly to cuddle on the couch. Um, but again, it's, you know, if you get a pup, you've potentially got a 15-year agreement, contract, whatever you want to call it. So it's just, and I always encourage people, if you are interested in getting a dog, 
I would massively encourage you to foster in rescue because realistically you're going to help a dog out even if it's for a few nights a week um and yeah obviously not just dropping the dog but it is flexible obviously and it gives you that taster of can I actually do this or is this too much and I can't I say it all the time it goes over everyone's head but I say it all the time literally tell them like, oh yeah nah and then they'll go and get a dog and I'm just like yeah. But um, <laughs> it's something that I massively encourage um, because, yeah, it just gives you that, gives you, gets your foot in the door, really, um, before you make such a huge decision. And again, it's just coming back to that lack of education. And again, and don't get me wrong, the best owners sometimes for me are, are my new owners because you can literally hit them with the best information and they've not got preconceived ideas. You know, they've not had dogs for 40 years, whatever the saying is that you get a lot of people saying. So, um, so yeah, definitely. I think as well, we almost forget what it's like to have a dog too, or especially a puppy. I've got a few friends at the moment. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting a puppy, getting a puppy. And then got it and then called me like, oh my God, what have I done? Why have I got this dog? And I think you just forget. So I say the same thing to people. I say, if you know someone who has a puppy, go and sit it for the night or have it over for the night or spend the day with them and just see, like, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I think we forget. Totally. And everybody with a pup, literally, I can see the message come in and I'm like, hi, I've got a pup. And then you literally know categorically that it's going to be like, Malvin is me and it's biting and it's so bad and like I'm just like yeah it's just a pup but they're like no no it is really bad I'm like yeah it's still a pup though but um but yeah no it is it is tricky but to, to, to sort of round everything off that we were saying it's it's again it's just you can be a leader you can obviously we have to take charge um but it's in a way that is in obviously for everybody's best interest not just physically trying to impose the dog to do something I always say again we've Particularly like reactivity and stuff like that, people will, it's hard to explain what I'm trying to say, but people will often, you know, particularly if you've got a small dog, because the dog's not that physically imposing, they will just put the dog in a situation where they'll just like, they can't control the dog, but the dog's just booing off at absolutely everything that's going past. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but, I, I, you know, I can keep on like, yeah, completely missing the point, obviously, because we're trying to give the dog something alternative to rehearse and practice so that we can then reward that new behavior um but again and it comes down to this sort of it's, it's a similar i've had a few clients recently and not for one minute slagging off dog walkers here dog walkers are amazing but a few clients recently have took on dog walkers who have worked working with a reactive dog and they specifically approach them because they have a reactive dog and it's just a case of them being we're not had the best experience with some where it's just been like yeah i can i'll manage and the dog walker has just gone out and just dragged the dog around other dogs because they think they can physically hold on to the dog. And again, it's just completely missing the point because it's just a case of, well, it's not what we were looking for, obviously. But again, it just comes back down to this idea of, you know, of being able to physically manipulate a dog as opposed to understanding that you don't need to physically use your, the tools and limbs that you've got. It's very much just about you know again understanding what's the dog's job what's the dog's stress levels like at the minute how much outlets do you give the dog to practice to be a dog and to do those certain things um, as opposed to just come here you stop being a knob and just shout at the dog absolutely absolutely mate i um we're gonna we've, we've covered so much today and i think you i think you've actually managed to explain everything really really well mate mm -hmm. um 
I hope so, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, really, you know, it's, it's like I said at the start, the way that you frame information is, I find, put on a pers personal level, like really easy to digest. And so really, really grateful for you coming on today, mate, and uh, giving your insight into, into this really quite nuanced topic. Like it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that I think as professionals, we have to tackle regularly, but something that the dog ownership, ownership public is probably, unless it's presented to them, they probably wouldn't even consider. So thank you so much, mate. No, no, uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been, uh, it's been great having a few chats with you guys recently. Uh, really, really honoured to be invited. But yeah, hopefully, like I say, my thing really is like yourself, constantly reading, listening, learning, and just trying to regurgitate that in a very simplistic way for every dog or everyday dog owners to understand. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's made sense. But no, it's been great catching up with you guys again. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Hopefully, some people can take it away and just keep things simple. That's all. That's mainly what I try and tell people: is literally don't do any, don't worry about the fancy shit. That stuff you can teach at a later date. But um, yeah, keeping things simple. Just reminding yourself, you know, why you got a dog. Understanding and reminding yourself again, you know, what they're capable of. Are you providing everything that they need? And the other thing's a bit morbid, but they ain't here forever. So. If you spend 90% of the day shouting at them and getting stressed about it, one day they ain't going to be here. And like I say, it's a bit morbid, but it's it's true. It's part of the deal when you get a dog. They're not knocking around forever or any animal for that fact. Um, so it's just important that you, you know, you're trying to spend most of your time obviously trying to support them, give them what they need and enjoy, obviously, your relationship with them. I love that. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, thanks so much. Um, we'll have to get you on again. And yeah, <laughs> we've got way more to talk about. Um, but yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Dog Pod. We know we did. Thank you again to our sponsor, Field Day, for making this season of the Healthy Dog Pod possible. And remember, folks, a healthy dog's a happy dog. Woo! And that was the pod.